0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you for joining us today. Well, coming up on this Thursday edition, we've got a lot to cover. The Biden administration releasing a report today on the Afghan withdrawal debacle.
0: John, who's going to get fired over this?
2: Peter, the purpose of the document that we're putting out today... Uh, is to sort of collate the chief reviews and findings of the a- agencies that did after-action reviews. Um, uh, the, it, it, it's not, the, the purpose of it is not accountability.
1: How is was White House political janitor John Kirby responding to Peter Ducey from Fox News. The administration refusing to take responsibility. The headline in Reuters captures the report quite well, quote, Biden report on Afghanistan withdrawal blames Trump, end quote. Chairman of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, James Comer, announcing this afternoon his committee will hold a hearing on the report on April the 19th. We'll talk with a member of the House Oversight Committee. Florida Congressman Byron Donalds in just a moment. We'll also talk with Missouri Senator Eric Schmidt about this statement he made last week before the Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government.
0: The Biden administration has led the largest speech speech censorship operation in recent American history. Since taking office, President Biden and his team have labored to suppress viewpoints with which they disagree. And in doing so, they have infringed upon the individual freedoms of millions of Americans,
1: we're going to talk about that a little later here on Washington Watch. And and by the way, this is what political doublespeak sounds like.
2: Today, Indiana just uh, banned puberty blockers, hormone therapies, and gender transition surgeries for minors. I'm wondering what the president's reaction is to the Indiana governor signing that bill into law. And does the president have a position on at what age these kinds of therapies and surgeries are appropriate? That's
3: something for a, a child and, and their parents to decide. It's not something we believe uh, should be decided by uh, by legislators. Uh, so I'll leave it there.
1: That was White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre yesterday responding to a question from Philip Wegman with the Washington Examiner about President Biden's position on the experimental use of drugs and surgeries for minors experiencing gender dysphoria. Now, Indiana became the latest state to take steps to protect children from these experimental procedures. Now, keep in mind, when you think of what she said, this is the same administration that wants to keep parents out of the loop, as schools indoctrinate children. They don't want parents involved in this only to the degree that they go along with the left's agenda. Now, fortunately, there are leaders across the country resisting this agenda. Just this week, we have seen a veto overridden of Kansas Governor Laura Kelly on a bill prohibiting biological boys from playing girl sports. Also, a veto by the governor, a veto uh, override of uh, the governor of Kentucky, Andy Bashir. He vetoed a bill uh, that protected children from this transgender craze. And uh, we're going to talk with one of the authors of that Kentucky bill. Kentucky State Representative Shane Baker joins us a little bit later. And why has the issue of transgenderism become such a huge political fight? Primarily because moms, dads, and some political leaders now realize what is at stake. Our children. And they're fighting back. Dr. Jennifer Balance joins me later for that conversation. It is always time to pray. It will soon be time to vote, and it is time for us to take a stand. I want to invite you to join like minded Sage Cons from across the nation in December, or in Washington, D.C., in September, September 15th through the 17th, for our Pray Vote Stand Summit. To find out more or to register, go to prayvotestand.org. Our word for today comes from Ezekiel 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely my oath, which he despised, and my covenant, which he broke, I will recompense on his own head. This prophetic word was focused on the treachery of Judah's last king, Zedekiah, breaking their covenant with Babylon, just as they had done with God. They were not good for their word. They would pledge obedience with their lips, but their treacherous actions revealed the intent of their hearts. So God used Nebuchadnezzar to judge them. William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania, said this. He said, those who will not be governed by God will be ruled by tyrants. You know, we have a choice. We can either turn from our rebellion to a gracious and forgiving God, or we'll be turned over to tyrants whom God will use to suppress our rebellious nature. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. As I mentioned earlier today, the Biden administration releasing their review of the disastrous Afghan withdrawal.
2: What mistakes does the president admit he made? I'm not going to speak for the uh, president on, on, on that score. What I can tell you is uh, that, again, we've done a, a good faith effort here to work through the lessons learned of this withdrawal.
1: Again, that was John Kirby with the National Security Council in the White House. Join me now to discuss this and much more, Congressman Byron Donalds. He serves on the House Financial Services Committee and the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability. He represents the 19th Congressional District of Florida. Congressman Donalds, welcome back to Washington Watch.
4: It's good to be back with you. Thanks for having me on. So,
1: Congressman, you're a member of the Oversight Committee. It's Chairman Comer is saying he's going to hold a hearing on the 19th. Let me get your response to the report from the Biden administration on the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan.
4: Uh, Well, look, I think that uh, seeing a report is a good thing, but we're going to dig into this in a much more meaningful way. Look, you got to understand that the inspector general actually had a report on this um, the, the summer of 2021. That you know, I went back and read it's a classified report uh, demonstrating that the that what was happening on the ground in Afghanistan was not prime for a U.S. withdrawal, and that a and that an expedited withdrawal that Joe Biden initiated and followed through uh, was going to be a disaster. Lo and behold, that's exactly what we saw on the ground. And so I think that it's going to take more. Um, of us digging through this report that they have uh, to demonstrate the facts that what really occurred in my view is that the intelligence community told Joe Biden uh, that immediate withdrawal the way he was going about it was going to be a disaster for our country. It was not going to be carried out well. It was going to empower the Taliban. And uh, his actions led to the death of 13 men and women uh, in our military. And it led to us losing 85 billion in equipment and losing so much more um, with respect to Afghanistan overall.
1: So, Congressman, the Biden administration had eight months. Uh, They Mm. could have delayed this. They could have done it a different way. But they're blaming the Trump administration for setting this up. They did not have to pull the trigger on the withdrawal
4: no they did not have to pull the trigger that's something that we've known for quite some time and so look i'm glad that uh chairman Comer's is going to open this up there was a closed briefing for oversight members Uh, last Congress, Nancy Pelosi did not want that hearing to be uh, an open hearing, and obviously you know why, because Joe Biden rushed to judgment. Frankly, he wanted a photo op on September 11th of 2021. That's what he was trying to get, and it turned into a complete disaster uh, for America uh, in that part of the world, in that that region. He did not have to rush. He could have taken time. I believe that Admiral Milley and uh, Secretary Austin in my in my opinion, they advocated for us to keep troops on the ground, about 2,500 troops, which would have been holdovers from the Trump administration position to make sure that the Taliban would actually adhere to the deal that they had negotiated with then-President Trump at the time.
1: Uh, Congressman, I want to shift to some more news coming off of uh, Capitol Hill today. Uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, issued subpoenas to a former New York special assistant district attorney who apparently advised uh, the district attorney, Manhattan District Attorney uh, Alvin Bragg, in his uh, prosecution of President Trump. What do you make of this
4: news? I think it's important for us to dig into this. Look, you have obviously a a district attorney's office in Manhattan that where it seems like the culture and the ideas have just been to get Donald Trump, regardless of whatever else is going on, especially considering the fact that the same office has downgraded many violent felonies to misdemeanors and is not prosecuting a lot of misdemeanors altogether. So I think this is a first step to understand what's actually going on in this DA's office, because it is the purview of the Judiciary Committee to make sure that you don't have a a two-tiered system of justice in the United States, and especially not a political system of justice in the United States.
1: Well, and apparently, uh, this individual who had worked at the department uh, resigned because uh, Braggs would not indict the president. Of course, after he resigned, he apparently, according to the information, uh, served as kind of a special advisor helping with this investigation and this pursuit of President Trump. Uh, he was asked to appear before the committee and provide whatever information he could, but was uh, advised by Bragg not to show up to the committee. So he's refused to, which is what has led to this subpoena. What what do you think he might be hiding?
4: Uh, I think what he might be hiding is a demonstration of just how, uh, how crass and and disgusting the culture is in the Manhattan DA's office. Um, You know, Alvin Bragg can say what he wants about how he doesn't want anything impeding uh, his investigation but if you just read the indictment, you see that this whole entire situation is a political circus uh, dressed up as, as, a, as a criminal prosecution. And so we're going to need some information about what actually is happening in this DA's office. And another piece of information is, was the, was the local DA's office getting information from various agencies of the federal government to uh, help move uh, this weak and flimsy and political indictment along? We we shouldn't be
1: surprised if we do find out that is the case when we had the White House and the Biden administration working with the National School Boards Association to write a letter that alleged that uh, or actually accused parents involved in education
4: of being domestic terrorists. You're absolutely correct. And that's why I don't put anything past uh, not just the White House, but some people in the agencies. It has been a travesty how the American people have been treated. And so now they move towards this political indictment of their political uh, adversaries. It's it's really atrocious and it shouldn't stand in America. So, you know, House Republicans, we're gonna investigate it and we're gonna go from there and let the the facts speak for themselves.
1: Right, Congressman, we just got about a minute left. But yesterday, the House Speaker met with the President, of Taiwan, China, making a lot of noise over that. You've introduced legislation to ban funding nuclear exchanges with China. Do we need to be treating China as an adversary as opposed to a competitive economic
4: uh, partner? Uh, I believe that we do. Um, they, in some respects, that's how they treat us, and that's how they act towards us, and so. We have to take the the threat of an aggressive China seriously. Um, there was a time where, you know, these different memorandums of understanding were needed, uh, but not anymore. They're the second largest economy in the world. They're the second largest uh, superpo- uh, military superpower in the world. Something tells me they can fend for themselves when it comes to tech, technology, and so on and so forth. Uh, but we need to actually get back into the mode of competition uh, with China and trying to maintain our status as the world's uh, superpower. I could not agree with you more. I think
1: they um, they are not to be trusted, and they have made their uh, intentions, I think, very, very clear. Congressman Byron Donalds, always great to see you. Thank you for uh, joining us today here on Washington Watch.
4: Anytime. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Well, coming up, Kentucky lawmakers last week overrode their Democratic governor's veto to a bill that uh, protected children and parental rights. It's a pretty comprehensive bill. Actually, it's one of the better ones we've seen pass, and there's been a lot of them passed. I'm going to speak to one of the authors of that bill after the break. We're going to talk about parents, lawmakers at the state and local level pushing back against this agenda. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
5: Learn more at frc.org forward slash life.
1: I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. Thanks for joining us on this Thursday. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre began her remarks earlier this afternoon with this lamentation.
3: This has been one of the worst weeks for, of 2023 so far in terms of anti-LGBTQ bills becoming law in states across America. Three anti-LGBTQ laws have been enacted so far this week in Kansas, Indiana, and Idaho. Just yesterday, the North Dakota Senate passed 10 anti-LGBTQ bills in just one day.
1: Well, let me add to her grief. Last week, Republican lawmakers in both chambers of the Kentucky General Assembly overrode overrode a veto from their state's Democratic governor to pass a bill known as SB 150. Now, the sweeping legislation prevents doctors from performing these experimental surgeries on children or prescribing these puberty blockers or hormone therapies, protects women's spaces from biological males... And prevent school districts from requiring teachers to ref- play along with students using their preferred pronouns that do not match their birth certificates. What we're seeing in Kentucky is a part of a larger wave that's moving throughout many states that are passing similar laws to protect children and to preserve the rights of parents to be a part of determining the future of their children join me now to discuss this and more state representative shane baker he represents the 85th district of kentucky representative baker welcome to washington watch
6: thank you tony so much so great to be with you
1: well let me uh let me commend you uh, on the success of uh, the bill and i know this is kind of several bills combined into one but let's start by discussing how both chambers of kentucky's legislature overwhelmingly overrode the governor's veto. Well,
6: th- this is something that was long overdue. We, you know, we must protect our students at all costs. This was a bill that was uh, overwhelmingly passed in both chambers. Uh, the governor vetoed that, came back to us last week, and, and uh, we were eager to get in there and override that to make sure these protections are in place.
1: You know, I, I, I spent... Uh... Uh, three terms, uh, two terms in a legislative body in Louis- my home state of Louisiana, and I know uh, overriding a governor is not an easy thing to do. Uh, so this, because a governor has a lot of power when it comes to uh, budget and where who gets what money in the dis- in their districts, and so he 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 has a lot of leverage. Does this indicate the level of public support for these common sense measures?
6: I think it does. This is something that that parents and Citizens throughout the Commonwealth have been very vocal about their concern for the children in their community, their their own children, their grandchildren, and children they have no connection with whatsoever. Uh, this is something that people have been very vocal about, and I think that they, they knew that it's something we need to pass this session.
1: So, Representative Baker, this legislation accomplishes a lot. As as I mentioned, it's uh, kind of, I think, three bills combined into one. You specifically worked on the elements protecting parental rights at the schools. Uh, Tell us about that provision and what it will do.
6: Yes, as you said, there were a number of bills that were rolled into one. Um, The thing that I worked on was largely related to curriculum. Uh, I had House Bill 177, which dealt with a number of issues, and at the end of the day, uh, we got some components of different bills, put them together to to uh, comprise Senate Bill 150. But the biggest part of House Bill 177 that made it into this final bill was on LGBT indoctrination. It says that they cannot uh, teach anything with the goal of, of uh, teaching gender ident- identity, gender expression, or sexual orientation in kindergarten through 12th grade.
1: What... What type of uh, protest did you see at the Capitol as this uh, as these measures were being voted on?
6: You know, leading up to the vote, there were people outside. They made their way inside. We had a rally just before uh, we went into to the chambers to vote. Uh, they, they filled the gallery of the chambers of the House and Senate. Uh, they were very vocal in, in their protest. Uh, some of them were led, led away that day.
1: Now, this came on, the uh, I think, the second-to-last day of your legislative session. Some are saying this is going to become a campaign issue uh, in the next election when the governor is up. What, uh, how do you think this is going to play out with voters in the state of Kentucky?
6: It very well could become a campaign issue. This is something that, you know, there's a great divide between conservatives and, and progressives. Uh, the governor himself uh, is— quite progressive in his ideology. This is something that he has advocated for and pushed. Uh, and with LGBT indoctrination, he has been very vocal on that front. And there's a, a great um, division between him and the legislature and, truthfully, the people in Kentucky. People in Kentucky want to protect our children. They realize the need for this. It's an unfortunate situation we find ourselves in, but it will likely be a part of the campaign going forward.
1: Yeah, uh, the, the the other side of this, I'm uh, reading several stories coming out uh, after uh, Kentucky overrode the governor, Kansas, they overrode their governor, that this is an attack on, uh, you know, trans people, LGBTQ. As I see it, it's just it's, it's basically standing up and resisting this agenda that's being pushed on to our children. No one's attacking them. It's just saying we're not going to allow this to happen on our children.
6: Absolutely. This this does not prevent people from doing what they want to do behind closed doors with, with themselves. But it does say that you cannot uh, try to indoctrinate our kids. You cannot try to transition our children through therapy, uh, whether it's home, hormone therapy, puberty blockers, uh, gender transition. And it's something that um, it does not keep them from doing what they want to do unless they're trying to reach out and groom and, and draw in children uh, who are very vulnerable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me how when we simply stand up and resist what they're doing, we're the ones that are at, at attacking. Uh, Representative Baker, I want to thank you for joining us, and I want, again, commend you for a, a job well done. Thanks for uh, staying in there and getting this uh, across the line.
6: Yes, sir, Tony. Thank you so much. Glad to be able to do this, and, and I'm sure we'll see more of this in the states across the land. I hope we do.
1: Yes, and I think you will prov- you provide a good example for that. So we appreciate that. All right, folks. Coming up next, Missouri Senator Eric Smith. He testified before Congress last week that the Biden administration has conducted the largest speech, speech censorship operation in recent American history. He'll join us after the break to talk about it. Stay tuned. More Washington Watch straight ahead.
2: Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com.
1: Thanks for joining us on this Thursday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. A 2022 lawsuit against the Biden administration filed by attorneys general in Louisiana, Missouri, have discovered what has been called the largest speech censorship operation in recent history. Now we shouldn't be surprised what this administration would do, but they've done it. Now what was revealed in uh, the blistering testimony before the House Select Subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government last week is chilling. Now this was by plaintiffs in the case. Now that the censorship that many suspected has in fact been verified how should congress as well as ordinary americans respond well join me now by phone to discuss this senator eric schmidt he serves on the senate armed services committee the senate committee on commerce science and transportation and the joint economic committee he represents the state of missouri where he was previously the state attorney general and worked with jeff landry of louisiana to advance this case senator schmidt welcome to washington watch thanks so much for joining us great to be with you. Uh, Senator, before we get into your testimony last week, um, before the subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government serve on the House Armed Service or the Senate Armed Services Committee today, the Biden administration releasing their review of the debacle called the Afghan Afghanistan withdrawal. Uh, your thoughts on that report?
0: I mean this administration refuses to take responsibility. I mean I think the uh, in the press conference today they, they actually said this isn't about accountability. Well that's actually what this should be about. Servicemen you know lost their lives including um, you know one from Missouri, 80 billion dollars worth of equipment uh, was left behind and it really signaled a uh, weakness from this administration and the world is watching, of course. And then you add that on top of what happened with the Chinese spy balloon, and, uh, you know, they were not only gaining critical intelligence, report just came out, as we suspected, they were getting intelligence as it came across the continental United States, including Whiteman Air Force Base, home of the B-2 bomber in Missouri, in my home state, um, and and gaining critical intelligence on Joe Biden, how he would react to this, what he would do, and um, he failed miserably on that front, too. So, again, uh, I just think it's it's a— it's a scary time for the country right now with Joe Biden in charge because he exudes weakness and lack of uh, smart decisions. And uh, there's no way there's no way to sugarcoat that. And so regardless of what their PR spin is with this or what it was with the Chinese spy balloon, you know, it's, it's very clear to, I think, anybody that's watching that this administration has been incompetent.
1: Yes. Uh, and by the way, Senator, I know you're on the phone because you're out across the state. Your state uh been hit hard by the recent uh, tornadoes that have come through. And I just want you to know, our our viewers and listeners praying for the folks in Missouri and elsewhere, the other dozen states or so that have been hit hard by this. We've had the Samaritan's Purse have been on the program uh, discussing their uh, response and relief efforts. And so I just want you to know that there's a lot of folks standing with um, the folks in your state that have been hit by this. I I want to move to your testimony. Yeah, and I and I, and I think this is one of those areas where it's not just the government that responds. I think when you have these uh, humanitarian, non-governmental organizations like Samaritan's Purse and others that are out there helping, it 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 makes a huge difference. And so we need to continue to protect the ability of people of faith to be able to live out their faith because it has uh, implications in so many different aspects of life.
0: There's no doubt about Let's that. Let's move. And, and I know some people will try to... Yeah, you know, I, I was. Thank you. I just some people try to undermine that, but but prayer helps, and people being lifted up in prayer, people feel that. I can tell you, the folks I was talking to today, they feel those prayers, and and we certainly appreciate the the sense of community that people of faith uh, bring to situations like this. Yeah, uh, last
1: week your testimony before the House Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government was was shocking, quite frankly. I mean, it wasn't. Possibly. It wasn't. It could have been. It was definitive in your declaration of what you have found that the administration has been engaged in. Tell us about it.
0: Yeah, so about a year ago, Tony, um, uh, Missouri, when I was attorney general, we, uh, along with Louisiana, filed a landmark lawsuit alleging and then demonstrating through the evidence that's been uncovered through our discovery that the, the administration, the federal government engaged in a vast censorship enterprise, colluding, cajoling, pressuring, and big tech willingly went along with this. And these are some of the biggest companies in the history of the world to suppress the speech of millions of Americans, millions of Americans. And it took, and it, and it took, you know, various different forms. You Take, for example, you know, COVID. Um, we took the deposition of, of Anthony Fauci, and it was very clear that when he spoke big tech censored, he was very aware of the funding that he's in charge of that went to the Wuhan lab and went immediately to try to dismiss anybody who suggested that that the uh, coronavirus came from the Wuhan uh, lab. And of course, that's the most plausible theory that's been demonstrated over and over now. But it was really his attempt to again to cover his tracks. He worked directly with social media companies uh, to, to you know to cast anybody who said that as a conspiracy theorist, and, and including you know medical doctors, by the way. Who were being threatened with losing their license if they talked about these things. Interestingly enough, uh, you know, it's it's sad. it's funny, but it's sad during the course of that deposition. He actually asked a court reporter to, who sneezed to wear a mask. I mean, this is in fall of 2022 the wow. who's in charge of this. Uh, it's really goes to sort of who this guy was. He said, I don't recall, um, you know, 174 times. I don't remember. Add on that over 200 times. So the guy who claimed he was the science and knew everything blanked on a lot of important things. But we did pin him down on, you know, for example, an email comes across from a friend of his saying, this is in early 2020. Hey, I'm getting on a plane, should I wear a mask? And he dismisses that by saying masks are ineffective. And, of course, he turns around. Wow. And we have five-year-olds being forced to wear masks all day long. So a lot came from that deposition. The truth is coming out, and then also we took the deposition of an FBI. Sen- senator,
1: that... senator, He's we're up months? against we're up against a break. We're up against a hard okay. break. Can, can you stick around, or do we need to continue this another time? No, no, no. Stick with stick us. Around. No problem. All right, we'll be right back. Hold on, folks. Hold on. He's coming back with us. It began-
2: masculinity In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood.
5: Visit FRC.org slash internships to apply.
1: Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. Going to go right back to Missouri Senator Eric Schmidt, who's joining us by phone as he's traveling across the state. Senator, thanks so much for uh, sticking uh, around through the break. I-, I wanted to allow you to finish uh, that uh, discussion you were talking about. Uh, Dr. Science, Mr. Fauci, uh, giving kind of duplicitous answers regarding masks, making our five-year-olds wear them, but uh, others say it's uh, ineffective. So uh, what else did you discover in this process?
0: Well, we also discovered that, you know, take, for example, the Hunter Biden laptop story, which the FBI had the laptop in the, in December of 2019. And in 2020, leading up to the presidential election, the FBI had monthly and weekly meetings um, with big tech companies. And they warned of a a Russian, quote-unquote, Russian hack and leak operation. And one of the Twitter executives said they specifically mentioned the Hunter Biden laptop story, which they knew was actually a thing. They knew the laptop existed. It wasn't – this wasn't a fake story and really kind of laid the groundwork for the censorship that followed. You know, they had big tech companies with the government had weekly censorship meetings. They had a special portal. The Surgeon General of the United States was texting a senior Facebook official asking and, you know, demanding things be taken down. And then the response was, "Okay, we got took it down. What else can we do? This kind of coordination, I mean, I think it's important for people to understand. The federal government can't censor speech. That, of course, violates the First Amendment. They also can't outsource that censorship to third parties, which is exactly what they were doing here. And that's when we talk about this vast censorship enterprise. Think about it. The federal government, with its vast power and authority, colluding with some of the biggest com- com- companies in the history of the world ought to scare everybody in this country, regardless of what your political affiliation um, – it's it's a dangerous, very road to go down. We saw it. We've exposed it. The Twitter files, of course, have amplified that, and we got to make sure this never happens again.
1: All right. So uh, just to be clear, the, the FBI had the Hunter Biden laptop, but they were telling social media, hey, shut down this because it, it's a part of Russian disinformation. So they were lying. That's correct. That's correct. And is there not some is there something yes.
0: that's criminal, isn't it? Well, I mean, look, here's the thing. The FBI has no business. You know, in being involved with elections like that, especially in the sense that they had the laptop and, and right. you know, this, who, know, look, who knows what would have, people would have done with it? I think, you know, the point of all of this is whether it's information about masks, whether it's information about vaccines, whether it's information about the origins of COVID, whether it's information about the Hunter Biden laptop, sorry, whatever that is, the people get in this country, the people get to decide how they weigh that versus other information and how they make their decisions whether it's, you know, wearing a mask or not or getting the vaccine or not or how they're going to vote. The government, the government should not be making these decisions about what people can hear. And that's exactly what was happening, which is why this case, that lawsuit, is the most important, you know, civil liberties, free speech case we've had in generations. Because what happens, Tony, typically in these cases, somebody would sue the big tech companies and it would go to the Northern District of California you know, in a liberal jurisdiction and never to be seen again. We took a different approach. We sued the federal government. And so it wasn't a private company. We were suing the federal government for actual censorship. And this discovery that's come, up, you know, out, of course, is, is you know, these are bombshell uh, um, revelations. And then, you know, Representative Jordan, Chairman Jordan of that weaponization subcommittee, they're, they're continuing to do this work. They're digging in deeper. Yeah. And, you know, for me as a senator now, I, we just have to fundamentally – Dismantle the administrative state. It is not about self government. You know, the idea of with a senator, you can vote for me, you can vote against me, you can send me back, send me home. You're accountable. The deputy undersecretary of XYZ or whoever is not accountable to anybody. We got to change that dynamic.
1: Yeah. And and it's going to, I think it's going to require another election uh, in order to get that corrected uh, because you're going to have to have people that run on correcting this corrupt system uh, as well as using the courts to the degree we can. That's
0: right. I mean, think about it. They were trying to stand up an actual disinformation governance board. I mean, this was a thing. Remember, awesome. you know, that what's her name? Yeah. Uh, Mary Poppins or whatever. <laughs> she was, you know, she was going to be a, a leader of the Ministry of Truth, this Orwellian. I mean, they were yeah. not even trying to hide this. So, uh, we, again, this is, I think, people have to stand up and understand this is antithetical to, to who we are as a country. We, The First Amendment gives us a right— you know, to, to to worship how we want to worship and say the things we want to say. In many ways, Tony, it's this great pressure release valve because there are, you know, people from different backgrounds and have different views. In this country, we resolve those disputes through persuasion, through elections, not through violence. And, and you have to have to that. Historically. But when you cut off dissent, yeah, historically. And, and America is unique. That's what we mean by American exceptionalism. We're, right. we're the exception to the rule because most places around the world, that still exists, and we don't want to be like everybody else. We want to continue to be, you know, the greatest country in the history of the world, and this is a big piece of it.
1: Yes, if this goes unchallenged and unchanged, that history will be, will be fundamentally changed uh, in terms of what we look like in the future. Senator uh, Smith, I want to thank you for joining us uh, today. I appreciate your work on this and look forward to uh, to talking with you about it more.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for all you do. Take care.
1: All right, Senator Eric Schmidt of Missouri. All right, Uh, I want to wrap up here. Uh, You know, we were discussing earlier in the program the momentum we are seeing at the state level for legislation to protect children from harmful, irreversible gender treatments and surgeries. Now, this is a part of the left's agenda. They want to silence, as as, uh, Senator Schmidt was just talking about. They cannot defend their positions. And so they're using whatever means possible to silence. But here's, here's something to be encouraged about. Many states are standing up to this agenda. Now, of course, they're being accused of fighting and waging war and attacking and targeting transgender and LGBTQ. They're simply standing up and resisting. They're, they're standing up for common sense. They're standing up for what is right. But they're using a lot of lies in the process that um, are swaying a lot of people. And I want to talk about that. Joining me now uh, to talk more about how this is unfolding and how we should be responding, Dr. Jennifer Bowens, who is the director of the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council. Prior to her role at FRC, she worked as a clinician and researcher addressing the effects of psychological trauma as a researcher, she studied the effects of mass traumatic events like 9-11. Dr. Bowens, welcome back to the program.
3: It's good to be with you, Tony.
1: Now, a lot of news today. I don't even have time to get into all of the news just coming out today. The, the administration releasing new Title IX guidelines. We'll have to leave that to unpack at another time. Uh, it's easy just to say they're bad. Nothing coming out of this administration on this topic is good. But a recent study had a disturbing finding about parents who took their adolescent children to gender clinics. Of the parents polled, fifty-one point eight percent said they felt pressured to trans- transition their children socially or medically. I mean, that's quite significant. What What do those statistics reveal?
3: Yeah, it's a really interesting study that came out of Northwestern um, and. Uh, A lot of his work, it matches, uh, his findings match a previous study that we have on uh, those folks who had detransitioned. And so, but this one had a a different element which included parents. And here we're seeing parents who who wouldn't be shut down to gender ideology are saying they're bringing their child to these clinics and they're feeling all kinds of pressure. Um, I, I think another interesting finding that came out of this study showed that before a diagnosis of gender dysphoria that a number of these kids had a previous stressful event, a trauma, um, other anxiety issues and and I think it was about half um, also had some kind of pre-existing diagnosis when they came to when they arrived at the clinic and got the diagnosis of gender dysphoria so again this also confirms what we would think about just intuitively about this population, but it also confirms some of the research that we're starting to see trickle out um, from people who have a more fair-minded approach to, to this topic, because right now we've seen a lot of politicization of, of um, the research.
1: I want to go to the, the point of there are those that have experienced previous trauma. Is there any evidence that there was an attempt to address that underlying trauma that may have brought them to this point of this gender dysphoria?
3: Yeah, and what we saw in uh, Lisa Littman's study on those people who had de-transitioned after going through uh, some sort of procedure is that, um, and I, I can't remember the exact number, but it was a very it was a significant number uh, from a research standpoint. And basically, these people were saying they're, they're, um, they realized that their underlying conditions and uh, other traumas, other mental health issues, were actually responsible for the gender dysphoria that they experienced. So, you know, we we know from that study, that report. we you know, hopefully we'll see more reports come out. But um, we know from that data, but we also know from anecdotal reports that people aren't getting their, uh, a full assessment. What's getting assessed is basically, oh, you said you might feel a little discomfort about your biological sex. Well, you must be transgender. And then here's here's the pathway that we've laid out for you, which is the medicalized um, path of, of um, mutilation, really.
1: Well, given that fact and given that the media is all in on this, Hollywood, entertainment, of course, the Biden administration, I mean, it's quite remarkable that you see uh, such a strong resistance at the state level. I mean, you've got uh, reportedly um, about 650 bills related to this topic to protect children to one degree or another, whether it's bathroom policies, whether it's sports or or whether it's these uh, experimental Uh, drugs and surgeries. 46 states uh, are addressing this in some form or fashion, and and over a dozen uh, passing these uh, safe act-type bills. So this is a significant issue, but I want to go to the biased nature of the media. There's a report out of it. I had a legislator from Kentucky on the program earlier, and an AP story uh, covering the veto override... You know, says, uh, and, and this is not quoting. Usually the media would go to someone, give a quote that they want. But this is them interjecting their own commentary into the story. Uh, here, here's here, quoting. They're quoting someone now. They're quoting a, a, a kid. If it passes the restricted access to gender affirming health care, I think trans kids will die. Because of that, the 17-year-old student said, expressing a persistent concern among the bill's critics that the restrictions could lead to an increase in teen suicides. Then it goes on in the next paragraph. Bill supporters assembled to defend the measure, saying it protects trans kids from undertaking gender-affirming treatments they might regret as adults. Then it states, research shows such regret is rare, however. That's how the media is interjecting their own views but those those views are not accurate there are many people expressing regrets after going through this process
3: yeah there are many people expressing regret and we also uh, we don't have a lot of um, studies we don't have good studies on on the benefits of like you know the quote-unquote benefits of transgender procedures um, but we we don't have much because there's been a lot of suppression. So when you're talking about um, how the media has suppressed this topic, we've also seen the same thing in the academic circles because there are certain things that are taboo to talk about. So we're, we're just now starting to see people rally around this as, as they continue to look at the literature that's used to support, um, like WPATH, which is the World Association um, for Transgender Health, um, when we look at those guidelines, uh, they're 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 scaffolded with such poor research. And then on top of it, interesting thing that um, came out of the White House today, uh, saying that um, you know parents should be in charge of whether or not children are are transitioned. Well, when you look at the WPATH guidelines, they actually say, well, it's good to invite parents in on the process, but at the end of the day, if they're not willing, then we need to take whatever measures we need to to get this quote-unquote life-saving care, Um, which statistically, research-wise, there is no way to draw that conclusion. It's a logical fallacy. Um, And, you know, uh, it's just the same rhetoric that comes from the White House, which was, re- again, released this week, that said um, the mental health crisis that we're facing is due to LGBTQI discrimin- discrimination. Well, uh, I mean, I don't know yeah, how you I, can I make wanna, that statement.
1: <laughs> uh, we're, we just got about a minute left. But in Kansas, one of the Democratic state representatives opposing Uh, the, the, I think the sports bill said that this would cause transgender people to kill themselves. This is the fear mongering that goes with that. The suicide rate does not dissipate because people go through this process. There's some underlying issue that's not being addressed.
3: Yeah. And in fact, it increases. We have good data that shows that suicide increases for those who transition. And and of course it would, because you're, if you're never treating the the real reason for a problem, and, and you're only adding to it, you're adding to financial problems that could go with it. You're adding to right. the social awkwardness. Um, there's so many compounding issues that you're adding to it. So it it it's actually logical that someone would be more suicidal after these procedures rather and, than and less.
1: It's it's criminal that we have an administration, we have a media entertainment industry that is driving kids down this path. Dr. Bowens, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. Always great to see you, Jennifer. Thanks so much for being with us.
3: It's good to be with you, Tony.
1: And folks, thank you for joining us as well. Until next time, keep praying, keep preparing, and keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council 7234